Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. Now, I told you as we started out, there were several questions that I always ask about a passage whenever I start. And, and I actually had somebody ask me the other week, said, do you do this on, on every passage? And I said, absolutely. Not all the questions need to be asked all the time because once you find out who wrote it and those sorts of things, no matter where you are in the book, that doesn't change. So once you discover that, you're good to go. But still, as you walk through the passage, some of these questions still apply. So if you remember, we had uh, give a, uh, or I had given you a list of the things that I ask about a passage to gain knowledge of it. And and it's the same thing, actually, that reporters, I I didn't even think about it. I I remember learning it in school, but I heard a reporter the other day on TV saying, these are the things that I ask that that gives me the knowledge of the things that I report or I write about in a newspaper. And if you remember those things, it was the who, what, when, where, and why. Uh, Of course, they add the how to it, but I don't always have a how uh, application with the word as we study it. So we started on the who. Uh, You guys took to it. I had more people come and talk to me about the Bible in the two weeks it took us to find out who the who was (laughs) than I've had the whole time I've been here. And that's that's interesting. That's fun to me. I had I had folks coming up and saying, don't give us the answer. But am I heading the right direction? I had some come up and say, hey, I've got a few of these ideas. What do you think? I even had some folks that couldn't be here with us uh, the second Wednesday night. We're talking about the who. So they emailed me some things about what was going on and what they thought. And and uh, I applaud you. and, And I say, Y'all did a great job. You really pulled some things out that uh, that I hope caused you to grow in that process. Just to recap real fast, the who we found out is John. It is John the Apostle. It is aptly named 1 John. Uh, and we discovered that the reason, uh, several reasons why we know it was John. Number one, the fact that his uh, his life, uh, the people who lived around him that were the closest to him in age, that, that knew him the best, attributed the book to him. So basically the history of the church, the, uh, the Christology of the church, those things of the church said that it was John, that which is, is pretty good proof. Not good enough for me. I always want to find other things. So we looked a little further and said, okay, if we look at, the gospel of john that we know that he wrote there were a lot of similarities between the gospel of john and the style uh, between it and first john uh the time frame uh, of his life put it uh, so that there were some common themes that carried over so we found those and and talked about several of those you remember first uh, john 1 1 and and john 1 1 uh first john 1 4 i think it was john 6 4 First uh, John three sixteen and John three sixteen very similar. So there were several of those passages we talked about that that you could see the same themes that were running through. Also the fact that he was an eyewitness account. I think uh, someone brought out and it, it, which I found amazing that they actually pulled it out. Most people don't catch it, but the the uh, book changes from a we to an I perspective part of the way through. So that puts uh, solid evidence that it wasn't he was an eyewitness. The writer was an eyewitness. So. So those are some of the things. So we discovered it was John. He was the Apostle John, the one that always introduced himself or spoke of himself as the one um, whom Jesus loved. It's the one that you see at the table on the paintings leaning on the breast of Jesus. And, and uh, I always found it interesting. I heard one pastor say one time, John could have introduced himself as the guy who sat next to Peter. But he didn't. He said he was the, the one who Jesus loved, which makes that connection for us uh, to John. So 
So we talked about the who wrote it. We also talked about who the recipient was, and we pointed out several verses throughout that shows that it was written to the saved, written to the saved. So that's the who. The next question was the what. So there's two what questions uh, I normally ask whenever I approach a, a particular passage. The first what question I ask is what type of book is it? In case you're not familiar with literature, or it's been a number of years since you've, you've studied literature and its forms, there are several literary forms in the Bible. Everybody knows that there's a poetic section. If I asked you what book in the Bible can you point to that's a poem book, which one is it? Psalms, that's the one that jumps out. There's several. There's a prophetic session, uh, section within the Bible. You see that. Most folks, when they think of pro uh, prophecy in the Bible, Isaiah comes to mind. There is a ton of things in Isaiah that are prophetic because he was a prophet. Matter of fact, if you study the Old Testament, you'll know it's made up of major prophets and minor prophets. So there's a bunch of prophetic stuff. Um, there's history. There's a lot of history written in the Bible. So you may read a book that's written from historical background and you take information from it differently than you do a book that's written poetically. So you can't take the same rules you apply to a poetic book and apply it to a history book or you don't get the information out. So you've got to ask, what type of book is it? So what type of book is 1 John? What is 1 John? Uh-huh. A letter. Okay. Are all the books in the New Testament letters? No. I just happened to flip back to see what was written on the title page of mine. On the title page of my book, it's on my Bible, it says it's an epistle. Is that different than a letter? I think in one sense it's splitting hairs, but let me just give you what, um, what I believe to be the difference. And some scholars say it makes a difference, some say it doesn't. There are several letters that are written that you see written to people specifically. You know, First uh, Timothy, you see you know, different places that there's a letter written. It seems to be a personal thing written uh, to a particular person. doesn't mean it doesn't apply to us, but, but it's a letter. An epistle, I tend to think of as more of a pastoral item. It's something where a person in a pastoral position is writing to the general populace of the church. So in other words, I, I may decide I want to write a letter. I may write a letter to carry in one manner, but if I'm writing it to the entire church, it may be written a little bit different or cover some different areas. So when I first look at 1 John, what jumps out at me is the fact that it's called an epistle. And you can kind of get it from the theme as you read through that it is a general epistle. It is written to a group. So what's important about that? It means we can't discard it. We can't just say, well, that particular item was for that particular time has absolutely nothing to do with us because it being a general epistle lets us know whatever John wrote in 1 John was written as a general epistle to the church. So that means everything that we pull out applies to us both today as well as it did to the church at that particular time. So, so the what type is it? It's a letter or an epistle. It's really split in hairs as to, to those being a difference, but it is written to the general populace. All right, the second what question I ask is, what is the theme? What is John writing for? What's his purpose? How do we discover his purpose? Okay. Okay. 
got an unfortunate belief. What else? How would we know John's intent? And I picked this book because this is easy. It's not so easy in the others. In 1 John, it's extremely easy to figure out what he wrote it for. If you remember, we read completely through. I was going to do it tonight. We're short on time, so I won't. If you read through, here's how I approach a book when I go to study it. If I'm going to study an entire book, which is the way I believe the Bible is set forth to be studied, that's the way you see me preach. Um, It's called exegesis. It means taking the Word, letting the Word speak for itself. It's written in a letter um, which was written in one sitting to the church for at one time. So it should be studied together. So when I approach it to study a particular book, I do read completely through. And then I try to pick out as I read through who wrote it and, and all the things that I can glean from it about the person. Then whenever I get that answered, I back up and read it again with the intent of reading through. And as I read through, I try to figure out what was it written for. Because if you don't know what it's written for, it's kind of hard to get the message. So, what do you know about 1 John that would tell you exactly what it's written for? Any idea? How could you tell? Okay. Very good. So, assurance. Yes, uh, Robin? Yes. Okay. All right. If I were to tell you there are four things that he wrote the book for, can you tell me what the four things are? And can you back it up with Scripture? There's four very specific reasons he wrote it. And when I tell you the first one, it'll be obvious from that point forward. So I'm going to make you see if you can figure it out first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. How do we prove that with a scripture? How do we prove it? Let me read. Tell me if you hear anything in here that tells you the first one. Let's just start right at the very beginning. John one, First John one one says that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That's sort of along the lines of what Vernon was saying. He goes on to say, That which we have seen and heard we declare to you, 
that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. I'll tell you the very first reason he wrote it is in one of those four verses. Do you know which one it was? Somebody say four. See, it's pretty easy to figure out why John wrote it. He just told you in verse four. The first reason he wrote, 1 John, is we write to you that your joy may be full. The very first reason John wrote 1 John is that your joy may be full. Where did he get that from? We talked about it last week. I told you last week because I read the scripture that gave him that, that he also wrote, which is not in 1 John. But he wrote another scripture just like that. You remember back in John chapter 15, it was one of the proof passages that he had written both of these for me. Uh, verse 11 of chapter 15, this is Jesus. He's been talking about relationships to, uh, of believers to Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 11, these things I have spoken to you, this is Jesus, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. So what is, what is the reason, number one, the what, is that your joy may be full. He was relating the joy being full to what Jesus Christ said in his presence whenever he explained the relationship between a believer and Jesus Christ himself. So to understand that full passage, go back and read John 15. You can take the context of John 15 and dump it in the white spaces of 1 John 1, 1, where he says that your joy may be full. So that's number one reason. There's three more reasons that he wrote. Anybody pick out another one anywhere? Should be a key word that will make you realize he always says, I write to you. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. He says, my little children... So you, that's proof positive he's writing to fellow believers. He says, these things I write to you. And what is the reason? So that you may not sin. So he starts off the beginning of the book saying, I'm writing that your joy may be full. And your joy is full because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you understand your relationship with Jesus Christ, your joy is going to be full. The second reason that I'm taking the time to pin this book at the direction of God and God telling him what to write, he says, is that you may not sin. Well, that goes right in hand not only with what Vernon was saying, but right in hand with what Sue was saying and exactly what Robert said when it was the fullness, knowing who God is, the fact that we're Christians and we shouldn't sin, and there being some conviction to that, he talks about. All right. Then he goes on to that same second chapter, verse 26. Another what? He says, These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. Okay. He started off saying, what, the, the what, the reason why we're doing this, why we're writing this, joy to be full. We want your joy to be so full that you no longer desire to sin. But then all of a sudden he says, I'm writing these things so that you're not deceived. Put the pieces together. What's going on that would make him write that? See, can you not start seeing it? If, if something's going on with someone, you generally start off a letter. If you're in a conversation with someone, you start off telling them the good things that are going on, don't you? 
Yeah, if you've got some bad news to break to somebody, you normally come at them with the good news first. You kind of sweeten the pot a little bit, which is what he did. He said, hey, want to make you joyful. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget what Christ did for you, what God did for you through Christ. You, you joy wants to be full. That joy should lead you not to sin. And let me tell you one of the ways that you're staring sin in the eyes. There are some false ones among you. There are some sheep or some wolves in sheep's clothing. There's a few that are taking the truth and twisting a little bit. I'm writing this letter, not only that your joy may be full, not only that you no longer sin, but that you recognize when someone's trying to deceive you. You recognize it. He goes through a whole section of that. Then the biggest thing, and he ends the entire book on it in in chapter 5, verse 13. Chapter 5, verse 13. Chapter 5, 13, he says this, These things I have written to you, who believe in the name of the Son of God. So what are the these things? He's taken from chapter 1, verse 1, to where he sits in chapter 5. So the, these things are all those things he wrote. Just as a highlight in the what, started off who you are in Christ, what Christ did for you, move from there to you should not sin, and one of the sins is staring you in the face, be careful, or those who deceive you, and then he throws this great news on him when he says, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of Son of God, he's putting a stamp on them, saying there, there may be some among you that don't, there may be some sin that you have to deal with, but I know you're saved. He says, I know you believe in the Son of God. He says, and here is the proof that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. He, he starts off the letter saying, I love you and we're brothers because of what Christ did for both you and I. I know sin comes along sometimes and I want you to ward that off by understanding who you are in Christ. Be careful there are going to be those who come in who look like a preacher, who look like a teacher, who say most of the right things, but the few things they say that are wrong are going to lead you astray if you're not careful. But I have faith that if you'll hold on to what I started with, (laughs) the joy and who you are in Christ, you'll end the journey with eternal life. See how he bookends the whole thing? He starts off with who we are in Christ, goes through what's going on in the church. We're going to see that he gives some direction to it. And at the end, he says the reason you have eternal life is because you now understand these things and you know to look out for. Do you ever look at 1 John that way? Have you ever looked at it from front to back that way? See, that brings a whole new light. Now you know who wrote it. The guy who walked with Jesus, who leaned on his breast at the table, who loved him, was one of the three that saw the transfiguration, was on the inside circle, spent the most time one-on-one with Jesus. He was there with him in the good and the bad. He was one of the sons of thunder, if you remember. One of the ones that whenever uh, some of them weren't doing what they were supposed to do, him and his brother said, why don't you just call down fire and zap them? He was also one of the ones that when they walked along the road after the transfiguration and all the disciples were trying to decide who's the greatest, him and his brother were walking along going, it's got to be us. We saw the transfiguration. You won't know where to be found. He was walking along all cocky about who he was. This same guy that now took all that stuff was mellowed out through what Christ had done in his presence, had turned into what The church has notoriously called him the apostle of love, if you remember. The same guy who said, send down fire and blow them up. 
wound up with the title, the apostle of love, wound up being the one that said Jesus loved. The same son of thunder had this great big transformation into what God wanted him to be, which brings up an interesting question. The, the question being, why him? Why would he be the one that God would give the book of Revelation to? Give the Gospel of John, who's the, the Gospel of Love, where the greatest verse ever written in the Bible is written, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Why this guy that wanted to zap him and wanted to be the best because of what he'd seen, pushed his importance on others, was the son of thunder? Why? See, all the things that he was transformed by, he dumps into the epistle of 1 John. How, how can he look at us and say, remember what Christ did? <laughs> remember what Christ did? Remember there's going to be these opportunities that even after you understand what Christ did to sin, you know what he was saying? He was raising his hand going, remember me? I'm the guy that wanted to call down fire and blow him up. Remember me? I'm the guy that was so full of pride, I thought I was the most important of the bunch. Remember me? He said, I knew who this Jesus was. Remember me? He's saying, when I tell you that I'm writing this to you so that you won't sin, I'm telling you, I don't want you to act like I did. You see how it's important to understand who wrote it and what his purpose was? He's taking his life that was transformed by Jesus Christ and dumping it into a book so that we don't make the same mistakes. So that's why it's important. He moves home from there to say, guess what? There's, there's going to be these deceivers. You know what I think he was really thinking about? One of the things that probably came to his mind is this guy named Judas. You talk about being in the presence of a deceiver. They so much thought that he was one of them, they gave him the bank book. He had the checkbook. He was the guy in charge of the money. And John again is saying, you know what? <laughs> Y'all at the church, you're going to be no different than us. The 12 of us walked around with the guy that sold Jesus to the Romans to be hung up on a cross. We thought he was one of us. Let me tell you what you need to do to make sure Judas isn't sitting in your church. You see how he takes his life? So now that you know who wrote it, as he's writing so that you won't be deceived, think about how deception was around him. And think about what he can dump into us about deception that maybe a, a Paul can't, because Paul wasn't there for that. Then he goes on to say, and let me, let me just explain this to you, you've got eternal life. And if, if you'll hold fast to Jesus Christ and continue to believe in the Son of God, your destiny is this place called heaven. Who better to tell us there's an eternal kingdom awaiting us than the guy who got to lift his head above and look inside and write it all down in a book called Revelation? You see what he goes on to say, you've got eternal life. You know what he's, he doesn't even know it yet. But what he's doing is he's writing about what his eyes are going to get to see that we're waiting to see. Do, do you see how the person and the what go together? And see, that's the important way to study the Bible. Now as you read it, you'll be thinking about the things that happened to John as he's pinning these things. As he writes about who you are in Christ, you're going to say, he got to see the transfiguration. He got to see the curtain pulled back a little bit. He got to lean on the chest of Jesus Christ. As he talks about the fact that you're not going to sin, you're going to read this so that you don't sin, you're going to think, wow, he did. What better way to explain to us how not to than from a person who did and God still loved him through it. Whenever he says... Look out. There are going to be those that look really good, smell really good, 
talk really good, act the act really good, but they're not going to be a part of you, you're going to think now, you know what? He saw that firsthand with Jesus' group. And then as he talks about that eternal life, you're going to realize this guy so much was focused on what our eternal life was going to be that God lifted him up above the clouds and said, take a peek, take a peek, now write it down. So as you think about the what of it, what was he writing for? He was writing so that our joy may be full, that we may not sin, that we'll know if someone comes in that's deceiving us and we will combat that so as not to sin. And our ultimate focus will be that eternal life because of our belief in Jesus Christ through all of those things. So as we move forward, those are going to be the what's. Remarkably, we're out of time. Um, I was going to do the when. So hopefully Vernon will be back next week because he was all over the when. So we're going to talk about when is it written. What is, what is important about understanding when something's written? I mean, in any document. Puts in context. It, it puts in context. In other words, a person that's writing a letter to you and he's saying things are really tough and I hope I live through the night and you know that he's in Iraq right now on the front lines, it's different than a person who's writing a letter to you saying things are really tough, I hope I make it through the night, and he's sitting down south where the tornadoes ran through. And it's even more different than a person who's sitting out at the hospital right now. In other words, according to the context of where the person's at as he wrote it and when, in other words, what's happening around him makes all the difference in the world how you interpret that. Pretty interesting to know, if you remember, we mentioned the fact that uh, John was the oldest apostle, living apostle, the last to go. So that's a good way to start looking at the when. Also, as we look at the when, we'll try and couple the where to it because those things kind of go hand in hand. The when is very important so that you can put history context on what he's writing. Already given you a few clues in the what. One of the what's will lead you to the when, if you'll take time to dig. And then those com uh, combination together will lead you to the where. Extremely important where the where was in this. Where did John wind up as he was writing this? As you see the when in his life and what was going on history-wise, the where will become very evident to you. So next week we will talk about the when and the where. Hopefully then we'll get through the why. We may even get the why next week. Some. If you want to study ahead and try to get the why, some get the what and the why confused. The theme, the what he's writing it for, and the why he actually wrote it are not the same things. As you want to look forward to that. Then with uh, any of God's good grace on the whole thing, we'll talk about hermeneutics right after we go through the why. And the hermeneutics, don't let it scare you, it's just how you interpret the Bible and, and what... Um, just how you come at the Bible. We'll explain that more. So, All right, with that, stand with me and we'll pray. Father, thank you so much for the Bible. <laughs> thank you so much for your word. Thank you for those men who penned the words that you've 
placed in their hearts and minds to write. Thank you for the situations they went through. Thank you so much for letting their lives temper what was written. Let the things that you want said come through the right person so the message can strike our hearts. Tonight, even as we talked about it again, I, I was just excited to go home and, and look again at this book and, and take what I've learned about John and, and what I learned about the what, the reason that he wrote it, and look again and just try to put myself into his thought process as he was writing these things, as he was pouring out his heart. Father, let us look diligently, not just for the knowledge, but so that we can understand what you're saying to us through the pen of John, as he wrote your very words on paper. Tonight, Father, thank you. Thank you for the Word, and thank you especially for the Word incarnate in your Son. Thank you for sending the living Word, your Son, to die upon a cross for our sins. Let our life be an example of what he has done for us through his death, burial, and resurrection in the days ahead. This we pray in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.